Hey everybody, and welcome to Rabbit Swamping's Podcast 77. This time I talk about early thoughts on the release of XCOM, Enemy Unknown, and Dishonored. And I talk about the demo for Torchlight 2. Enjoy the show! So a friend has recently picked up Torchlight 2, so I thought I would give that a look. For this brief rambling I am going to do on it, it should be noted that I did not pick up the full game. Money is still super tight, so I don't really have spare for it, I don't think. I will consider it. I have picked up the demo, which as far as I can tell will let you play as long as you want. But it does have a content cap restriction in that it only lets you go so far. And since you can't select an existing character when you restart a new game, you basically have to restart you know, each game each time, though you can play until you hit that point. Torchlight 2 is by Runic Games, and when I looked them up, they had an interesting history. Back in the day, I forget why, but Blizzard had sort of a falling out. If I recall correctly off the top of my head, there were five original members, and those people were responsible for all of the very cool intellectual properties that we know now. And back at the falling out, they sort of split in half. A few of them stayed with what is the current Blizzard, and a few of them left to form a new company. That company became Flagship Studios, and they were working on a couple of properties. Flagship Studios eventually died, pretty quickly actually, after the launch of their first product. But they reformed into a second company, which I believe is now what Runic Games is. And that second property that they were still working on that hadn't been released changed form and they sort of tweaked a few things and redirected a few things and turned it into what became Torchlight 1. And now we have Torchlight 2 a few years later. Torchlight 2 is a Diablo-like game. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that is sort of a top-down view game of your character. Basically, you are running around in dungeons and open areas and smashing monsters in their face and making the loot pop out of them to get more better loot. So if you've played any of the Diablo games, Torchlight and Torchlight 2 will seem very similar, especially since it's made by, you know, half the people that were on the team that originally made Diablo. While I did only play the demo and it only lets you play for a little while, I did get a chance to look at all of the stuff that makes it very different from Diablo. So I thought I would mention it for those of you who sort of like that genre of game but didn't quite like Diablo 3 for some reason. Torchlight 2 has a more traditional talent system than Diablo 3. There are four classes, which are not standard classes I would say, they are a bit different. And they each have three talent areas, I guess you could call them. They aren't really trees, because each of the skills unlocks at a specific level. And you don't have to spend any points in the tree previous to that to get it. As example, I am playing what they are calling an engineer. And you can build an engineer a number of different ways. The way I'm building is sort of like a paladin. And what I did was take two of the regular skills in the first talent tree. I don't recall what it's called. 
and I took two of the passive talents. In the second talent tree, for lack of a better word, I took both of the passives that unlocked, but not any of the skills. And in the third tree, I only took the second passive that unlocked. The demo doesn't go far enough, but there are three passives that will eventually unlock. And for each ability in each tree, it can go up to 15 ranks of skills. And of course, you won't get enough points in your 100 levels to max out all of those. There are four stats. I believe they are Strength, Agility, Focus, and Vitality. And they do pretty much what they sound like. Strength is raw damage. Dexterity is for criticals, and I think ranged damage. Focus is the one that people will be least familiar with. It is for magical stats. It boosts magical damage, as well as giving you mana. And oddly enough, it is the stat that bases your chance to dual wield on. I think your starting chance is like 12% to activate a dual wield hit when you make a regular strike. And then vitality is, of course, hit points. Each level you get a number of points to spend on these stats. So that is very different than many of the modern games in that most games automatically assign them. But Torchlight 2 lets you pick where you want to put them. That means you can have a very different experience from somebody else of your class. As an example, like I said, I'm playing the Engineer sort of like a Paladin. So I'm putting a lot of points into Strength and quite a few into Vitality, but I'm not ignoring Agility or Focus. Because I like agility for criticals and focus is good for mana. Because, you know, you do your special moves and they use up mana pretty quickly. But, if somebody wanted, they could only put a little bit into strength, put quite a bit into agility and focus, and then only put a little bit into vitality. And they could dual wield pistols, and they could go into the second talent tree and buy a lot of the bot abilities. There's different kinds of bots. There's like a healing bot and like spiders and like grenades, I think. So they could have a very, very different character from me, even though they're the same base class. With only being able to get to about level 10, there's not a whole lot of content you can see in the demo. However, I have played through like one and a half times now, and I have seen very different content each time. In my second playthrough, I got into this whole undead area that I hadn't seen in the first playthrough. I found a side quest that took me to a ghost pirate area which had a lot of cool new critters I didn't see in the first run through. So there is a lot of randomization and a lot of stuff you will see, you know, in multiple playthroughs that you won't necessarily see in previous playthroughs. The sounds are kind of meh. There's not much to them. The same goes for the music. And the sound options are extremely limited. Most games will let you control, you know, sound and voice and music and ambient, and they'll all be on their own sliders. Here there's just sound effects and music. You only have two sliders. And like I said, the sounds are just kind of meh overall. They're not anything to write home about. They are adequate. You know, they work, but they're not awesome or anything. I don't know if graphics are limited in the demo version, but it seems like everything is kind of a little bit blurry. It seems like I've gotten textures that are maybe, you know, medium quality instead of high res textures. From what I recall of options, there isn't an option to turn up the textures on the ground and stuff. So I don't know if that's something that is just overall design or if that's something for the demo. The game does move really fast. It's very high action. So you're not kind of standing still very much. In comparison to Diablo 3, it does have sort of a feel that is much faster paced in terms of walking around. So that might be part of it. It's certainly not game breaking or anything 
and it does go with the overall slightly cartoonish feel of the game overall. I would have liked high-res textures. Overall, based on the demo, I would say the game is very cool and very interesting. And if you're into that kind of game, you probably would be very interested in picking it up. One advantage is that you can play offline entirely, you know, not connected to anything. You can play online with random people or friends, and you can play over LAN. Although I don't know how many people actually play over LAN these days. Pretty much everybody just goes, you know, internet. But it does have all of those options. And it is open to mods, so people can eventually mod it. It only came out about a month ago, so I wouldn't expect there are that many mods. But people, in theory, could make their own dungeons, and people who like to, you know, hack stuff and play games with different rule sets can, in theory, do that. So there are lots and lots of options open that are not open in the Diablo series. But I would say, if you do enjoy that kind of game, especially if you have friends that you might want to play with, 20 bucks for the game is a very good deal, and it looks like a lot of fun. As stated in previous podcasts, XCOM Enemy Unknown is sort of a restart of the XCOM series. XCOM is made by Firaxis Games and is basically a restart of a very popular strategy game that has been loved for about 20 years and is often considered to be the best strategy game that has been made. If you want to know more about XCOM's stats, you can rewind to a previous podcast where I did a game watch and rambled about many things. I can say fans of the original will absolutely love the new version. It takes everything that made the original awesome and adds some new stuff. The game is basically a single player game. There is a multiplayer, I guess you could call it challenge slash PvP thing. I haven't tried it out yet. But you get so many points to build up a squad and then you can have a fight with, you know, your friends or people online or whoever. So there is sort of a little bit of multiplayer challenge type thing if you're into that. But it's really a single player experience. I mean, it's the way the game is designed to be played, so it's not co-op. It is a game with sort of two different parts to it. One part is the tactical combat layer where you have a squad of people or, you know, you can have robots too. And you move them around the battlefield and there's bad guys and fighting ensues. During your turn, you can basically move and then shoot. Some units have special abilities, like the support class can heal people and the sniper can do a special headshot move. And the assault guys can do this run and gun move where they get to do a dash move and then shoot. So they get a bit more range. Things like that. As your characters gain experience and level up as it were, they get to pick one of two talent points, typically. And that's where they get their special moves from. So it's very beneficial to keep the same soldiers alive and let them level up. Though I would recommend as you get enough leveled up soldiers 
that you not put them all in one squad all the time. Because what can happen is you can get that one bad mission where your entire party wipes. And if all of your most experienced guys are in that one group, everyone you have that's experienced is all going to be dead. So typically, if you have enough guys, one of the better ideas for strategy tips, in my opinion, is to take most of the squad experienced guys and have about two guys that are rookies. That way, should the rookies survive, they get experience and you have more guys that are experienced. Because what can happen if your guys don't get killed is they will get wounded or critically wounded, and then they will be in the hospital for a certain amount of time. And during that time, you know, they can't go out on missions. So if you have more guys that are experienced, you'll pretty much always have guys that are experienced to take with you on missions. The second layer to the game is the base building layer. And it's sort of a complex resource management. You have different sections of your base that will do different things. Like you have a laboratory that allows you to research. And you have an engineering section or foundry which allows you to, you know, build stuff. And each of these base sections not only do different things, but they get bonuses if you put them next to ones of their type. I haven't seen any yet that get benefits from different types or multiple types, but I suppose that's possible. It should be noted that I have played the game for about 10 hours at this point, of which most of that time was spent with classic and Iron Man difficulty settings. So they were super hard. I only got a few hours into those games before they became pretty much lost games and restarted. I have played the normal difficulty setting, I think it is, with Iron Man turned on for maybe four hours now. So these are kind of early thoughts in the game, as it were. As I've heard, there is a reported 15-hour playtime. I haven't seen any base parts that have benefits from either multiple sections or different sections. So I don't know if those exist, but I suppose they are possible. But because you have a limited amount of space, because these base parts do benefit from being next to one another, you will want to sort of carefully consider where you put the facility in question and sort of what order you build them in. Because you have a limited amount of money and, you know, different things will do different things. So as example, if you buy... I don't know, whatever, it doesn't really matter. And then you don't have money to build a satellite. You can't increase your satellite coverage of different countries. And by having satellite coverage over different countries, you have different benefits, you know, depending on that country. Like USA has a huge income bonus, whereas other countries might give you more scientists or more engineer workers. But in order to put that satellite up, you have to have, you know, a facility section that will increase your satellite coverage potential. So it's all wrapped together, you know. What do I spend my money on in terms of base parts? What do I spend my money on in terms of parts that can be used in the field? And they all get intertwined, so it becomes very challenging and interesting to manage them. As I said earlier, as a vet of the first XCOM game, I started playing this XCOM on Classic and Iron Mode settings. Classic is, like, hard for most games, I think. And then Iron Man means I can't save the game or load the game, except for, you know, the one time that I quit the game for the night and log out, it will save it for me. And then, you know, 
once again to load it back up again when I want to play again. You can supposedly change the difficulty at any time. It's under options, so I assume that if you start and it's too hard, you can turn it down if you want. I would not recommend Classic and Iron Man for a new player, because it is really extremely difficult. Like I said, I tried for a few games and I just kept dying. My squads would get wiped out, and then I'd have, you know, no money for anything because I'd have to buy more soldiers. And, you know, with no money for anything else, you just get more and more behind. So it is very, very, very difficult. I will probably try again after I beat it on normal setting, which I'm doing now. I'm doing normal plus Iron Man. In review type things, I would say that the graphics are very awesome. They are a little bit stylized. I mean, they're not going for totally realistic. But all of the human stuff looks really cool, and all of the alien stuff looks really cool. And the animations of the characters, and you know, texture quality and stuff overall looks really great. Sounds, I would say, are probably near perfect in terms of what sounds there are for what's going on. They seem kind of limited in how you can control the volume. Like, I think the ambient noise is maybe a little bit too loud. And the music I have turned down pretty low, but it still seems a little bit louder than I'd like. So in terms of controlling sound, it's not the best, but it's certainly not game-breaking or anything. You can sort of customize your characters. It pre-generates them randomly, so I usually don't even bother. But you can change their hair and their face and stuff like that. You can't change their body, though. That's sort of a, a generic uniform, depending on, you know, what rank they are and which class they are. So that stays the same. But you can change the color. And as a tip, as your character gains a class, they start out kind of as a generic soldier, which has no class. I would recommend that for each class, you choose a specific color for that character. That way, if you're in the field and you quickly glance at the field, you can see the different colors and you can see who is where in terms of their color. You can sort of tell what they are by their weapon that they're holding. Like snipers, pretty obvious, they always carry a big long rifle. But if you've got, you know, three other guys that are carrying assault rifles, you really don't know what they are. As example, I use black for my snipers, and I will use red for the assault class. And I will sort of highlight the highlight color more white for the heavy class. And then I will use blue for support. That way, you know, no matter where I am on the battlefield, I can quickly tell who is what without having to change to that character. Because like I said, it is kind of hard to tell. I did supposedly get some special skin type armor models for the sniper and assault character with my pre-order. I haven't seen that option yet. There are two choices in my armor model currently. And, you know, it's neither of the two choices. So I wonder if maybe I need to apply a code to get it, or if it's certain armor sets. And I don't have all of the armor sets. Like I said, I just started playing on regular mode, and I'm just now getting to the point where I could maybe afford to build the higher level armor. So it could be a higher level armor set. But that is definitely something in the game to look forward to in terms of, you know, you get higher level armor, or maybe they release an expansion, or maybe they release, you know, downloadable content that allows you to have more model armors. Another tip I have is when you land in a mission area with your squad, they tend to face a certain direction. 
and I typically call that direction forward. The maps are not always, you know, long, but if they are, that's the way they will point. It tends to have a few different start locations. Maps are apparently fixed in that, you know, the layout of the map will not change. So once you memorize a map, you know, you, you will know where you are pretty quickly. But I think the developers also said there's enough people probably shouldn't memorize them. But as a general rule, it seems to start you sort of in the middle to one side of the map. And like I said, if the map is long, it will tend to go the way that your team is facing. So I would suggest that you align your camera in a way that forward is always the same direction on your screen. And then, you know, if you start moving your soldiers a different direction, you can change the camera around. That's just a point I think is kind of important because if you rotate the camera a lot, you might get kind of confused as to which way you're trying to push forward in your search for the bad guys or whatever it is you are trying to do. The only note I can think of for veteran XCOM players is that you can't pick up any gear off the ground. Like in the original one, if you lost a soldier and he fell down, you could pick up his ammo or you could pick up his grenades. Or if you had special equipment, you could pick that up. In this one, once a guy drops, they're keeping their stuff. They're down, and whatever they had is lost. So if you have a special mission to, say, take aliens alive, and that requires an arc thrower, you might want to be sure a couple of different guys have arc throwers equipped, just in case. And also, it's kind of hard to take them alive, so you might want to have multiple guys have the equipment for it. You know, just in case you get the opportunity. The game has combat animations. Like there's one animation I call the reveal animation. And when you see a group of guys, they'll sort of pose and then they'll, you know, do their move phase. There's also a running animation over the shoulder of guys at times. It doesn't always go off. They do show different areas around them. So depending on where they are in the map, you know, you'll get a different background. Like one time I got a reveal animation of some aliens that were in a, I guess it's sort of like a food bar thing. So there was some funky background music that would go on when it showed them. I know you can turn some of the animation stuff off if you want though, if it does become annoying to you. So why does all of this make XCOM so cool? Besides being an awesome strategy slash base building game, it is randomized enough and there is enough stuff involved to keep you on your toes that it's always pretty interesting. As just an example, I will tell you about one story that happened to my squad once. Once this alien sectoid got off a lucky shot and he one-shotted the sergeant of the squad who was the most experienced character, the two rookies near them panicked. They just freaked out and they were like, ah! One of the rookies fired off a shot and killed that sectoid, and then the other rookie fired off a shot to a sectoid near him and killed that sectoid. So while it was a total disaster in that we lost the sergeant and people freaked out and were panicked for a few turns, they actually had really good results because they killed the aliens near them. It's stories like that that, you know, are sad for that character, but they keep you interested in the game because there is this ongoing story of, you know, what's going on with the characters and that character's backstory, and so it's pretty interesting and cool. The base won't have any cool stories like that. I don't think in the original game there were times that your base could be invaded. I don't know if that's in this game or not. Overall, I would say the game is very awesome and definitely worth it if you are a fan of the old school game. 
If you are a new school fan to strategy base building games, I would highly recommend you check it out. It was one of the best in its original time, and I think with this new version, it will become one of the best for, you know, this new generation who has not seen it before. Dishonored is a first-person style game made by Arcane Studios. You can play through as stealth or sort of, you know, just in-your-face combat and fight people in the open. Or you can choose to do a mix of the two. The game has randomized elements as to the locations of the items which will power you up. So in some ways, what you choose to power up will be determined by random elements. And other elements will be chosen by you. But you cannot have everything. So every playthrough will be different in that regard, as well as the fact that everything in the game is pretty much randomized. Most importantly, the location of your targets in the various quests. So every playthrough should be quite different. It is following in the footsteps of games like Thief, and I would say for the 10 hours that I have played so far, it is very definitely the game I was hoping it would be in terms of continuing the style of the Thief-type series. If you were a fan of the original Thief series, I would highly recommend picking up Dishonored. Dishonored is very realistic, I would say, in terms of how the levels are set up. People patrol fairly naturally, and they have guard locations that seem logical, not just like we're going to choke point you through this one spot. Like one guard I found was guarding a doorway, and he was looking towards the door, and there were two other guards at the door looking out. There are many ways through each level, however, because they know players will be using certain powers and certain powers will be available, they have designed the levels, you know, with sort of tricks and traps, so that, you know, the power choice you chose may not always be the most optimal path through the level. But because there are multiple ways, there is pretty much always a way you can find around if you are clever. In my first playthrough, it seems like there is a lot more combat than I should be running into. I kind of expected to be more stealthy than I have been. However, I don't think this is the fault of the game. I think this is the fault of me. Because like I said, levels are very realistic, so there are some very tight hallways. There are some patrols that if you aren't really, really careful to watch out for them, you'll run into them very quickly. And I am playing in sort of a single playthrough style. If I die, you know, of course, I'll reload and maybe do something slightly differently. But if I get caught, I will, you know, accept the consequences of what happens of me getting caught. Be that, you know, my having to kill guards or my using up a bunch of resources that I wasn't planning on spending. One thing that is very new and I think unique to Dishonored, and one of the things I think that are the coolest about it, aside from everything being randomized, of course, is that everything you do has consequences. And you have to be very, very careful about what you do. As example, I am in the second sort of main mission. I think there are six total. When I went through the first mission, as I said, you know, I accepted whatever consequences there were of my getting caught or 
running into guards unexpectedly. So I have killed, you know, quite a few people on that first run through. And I did accept a side quest, which was, I guess you could say, against a certain faction. And when I came through that section of the city for the second time, it sort of choke points you at the main entrance. So I think that's going to get run into every time. But the main entrance was on higher alert. They had set up sort of a watchtower with a floodlight and apparently a rocket launcher. So when I came in, it showed it shooting out a bunch of people and it put up sort of a, you know, a, a player tip saying, you know, your actions have consequences. Watch out. You weren't very careful in being stealthy and now they're on a higher alert level. So that was like, holy poop. How am I going to get through that main entrance with that rocket tower guarding it? So that became a lot more challenging. As I said, I did a side quest against a faction, and one of the optional, I guess you could call it tips for the second quest line was I could see a person, and this person would maybe have some thoughts on how to get into the main area for that second quest. But since he was of the faction I did the quest against, all of his people were on higher alert. There were twice as many guards as when I went through the first time, and they all really hated me. Even though I managed to stealth past and or knock out the guys in front of the person who could give me the tip, he did his little hello section, and then it was very obvious he took a I hate you choice after that because he straight up attacked me, instead of, you know, going into a conversation about what he would offer in terms of clues to get to the main quest goal area. So while I had previously heard there were consequences to your actions, you know, guards would increase, the filth in the city would increase, I was, you know, hesitant to believe it. But now, on the second mission, things being so very different, I believe it. It's pretty awesome, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it changes in future quests that I'm doing. In terms of graphics, I would say it is spot on. Most things do seem sort of a bit whitewashed, though. Like, the bricks are all very lightly colored, and, you know, they're supposed to be bricks, so they should be red, but they're more of a peach color, I guess you could say. It is a seaside town, so that could just be an effect of, you know, constantly being battered by sea spray. I have never lived in a seaside town. It all looks very good and very solid. The overall look of it, I guess you could say, is a bit stylized. It's maybe cartoonish if you consider things like 3D animation cartoonish. It is not, you know, animated animated. It's more like... These guys are very stylized characters. And it looks, you know, really good, I think. The world is a pretty awesome world from what I have seen. It is sort of a fictional steampunkish, with magic, kind of, you know, wailing town. If you watch the animated series that takes place before the game, they explain the whole deal with how the wailing town came about and what the whale processing has done for technology. And a little bit about the outsider, who is kind of like the source of all of the magic. He isn't really explained a whole lot in the game itself. Like, you know, again, I'm only 10 hours in, so I haven't seen a whole lot of the story. But it seems like, you know, he is the source of magic, and you have sort of a dream-slash-astral trip to go see him, and he sort of explains who he is a little bit. And there's lots of bits of lore, you know, strewn about the world, in books or in sort of little... I guess you could say info text when you pick up various runes, which are how you get your talents. You get enough runes and you upgrade a power. Sound seems pretty awesome, and I would say it is dead on. 
all of these sounds of what you are doing sound appropriate. The run speed does seem a little bit off. It seems like, you know, for the sound it's producing, for the steps that you're running, like in slow motion. Like, you know, a little kid stomps when they're running instead of regular running. That seems a little odd to me. But that is the only sound that seems a bit off. Everything else is pretty awesome. There's some ambient stuff going on with, like, loud speakers. And there's various sounds of, you know, the mice running around and the watchtowers. And in the style of Thief, there are side conversations going on with either civilian people or the guards themselves. And sometimes it is very important that you wait and listen to these conversations because they will give you side quests or hints for your main quest. And they will put up little waypoints into your HUD that you can then follow. That's really all I can think of to say about it as it is something that really needs to be experienced more than something that can be explained. Because each playthrough will be different, and each person that plays through will have, you know, their own style that they like to play through with. It seems like stealth is very challenging, in that, you know, if you want to stay 100% stealth, you've got to be really, really careful and really, really patient. There are quite a few guards in some locations, and you have to be very, very, very careful about which direction you go and sort of which powers you use, because you'll get caught with some and not caught with others. And again, it is very realistic in terms of design and how and how the NPCs act. So they may have a conversation and then turn towards the door you're hiding at and walk straight at you and you only have a few seconds to react. So you have to be, you know, ready in advance pretty much for everything, which is very cool and very fun. In terms of combat, if you want to ignore stealth, you also have to be very very careful about who you fight and when because since there is a close proximity of the guards at many times, if you start a fight, you'll very rapidly have, you know, two or three other guys fighting you, and it can become very challenging very quickly. So much like stealth, you want to be very careful about who you fight and when. I guess that's all I can think of to say. Like I say, it is, I guess you could call it a very personal experience, and I would say anybody who is a fan of the Thief series or stealth-type games in general, would very much enjoy the game, and I highly, highly recommend it. One thing I've said for both XCOM and Dishonored is that fans of the original type of game they are trying to emulate will love them. They both have sort of subtle hints towards the original game or the style of game that they are trying to emulate. Like with Dishonored, if you read a book, there's a sort of music sound in the background and it's almost the exact same one they used in Thief. Like I said, similar to the Thief series, there are conversations that take place that both give you hints for whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, as well as just being random conversations between two people or more. With XCOM, a lot of the stuff they do is new in terms of how they present it to the players. 
but a lot of the stuff too is pretty much a direct copy from the original game. So it all feels very similar. Like if you do an autopsy, the doctor will do a voiceover talking a little bit about the autopsy in question. And in the original game, you used to get a screen of, you know, the doctor saying blah blah blah. So while very different in terms of presentation, the the feel, the style of what is happening is, you know, very much what the original did. So in both cases, it has very much felt like I'm being visited by a old friend who I care for very much. And like I said, in both cases, I highly recommend them to fans of the originals, even though technically Dishonored is not, you know, a continuation of the Thief series. There are a few tips for both I can think of that aren't really spoilers in any way. Like the sniper, if you're using the sniper rifle, you can't move and shoot. So that guy, you'll want to move, you know, a full dash move and then have them sit there for a couple rounds in either overwatch or to attack. A minor tip for that is that weapon swapping is free. So if you do want to move them and put them into overwatch, you can swap to the pistol and then put them overwatch in pistol. Pistol will do hardly any damage at all. It's really almost not even worth it. But since it's free, you know, if you do want to move the sniper halfway and then have them do an overwatch with pistol, you can. You know, it's an option. I would highly recommend, you know, you move in groups and have people overwatching for people that are dashing. That will help keep you alive, I think. For Dishonored, as I said, you know, you want to be super, super, super careful if you're doing stealth. And a lot of the times you can take your time, you know, just watch their patterns, figure out where they're going to go. But also be very careful to quickly absorb your surroundings in terms of what options there are for movement or escape. Because if there is that conversation you're watching and it does stop, they may turn around and start walking right at you very quickly. Or, you know, somebody may come around the corner that you didn't know about. Unfortunately, I think the dark vision, which allows you to see people through walls and see where they're going and stuff, might be buggy. Because I have had people come up and, you know, be on me very quickly that I didn't see through the dark vision. So be very, very careful. Observe your surroundings and, you know, figure them out very quickly. And be ready for anything. So this brings us to the end of what will probably be the biggest Rabbit's Ramblings podcast ever so far. In terms of regular life stuff, because of my new games, I'm probably a bit happier than usual. In terms of the hard drive change slash move, I'm basically done. There's two programs I haven't moved over. One I use extremely rarely, and one I use quite often, but it's not really broken, so... I've been kind of lazy about them. I should just stop being lazy and change those over to the new hard drive. Yesterday, I did also remember there is virtual memory, and it was set to run, you know, just by whatever Windows wants. So I changed that to turn off the virtual memory caching on the old hard drive. Because if it is, you know, something with reading and writing, then, you know, turning that off so it doesn't use it will, 
you know, again, reduce what it is doing with the old drive. So it should just pull stuff into regular RAM and not use the hard drive and just use the hard drive for booting up Windows and that's it. Seems slightly better since I did that, but not, you know, hugely noticeable improvement. But I just did it yesterday too, so, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of time to investigate what changes may or may not have come because of that. But I don't know, it's one of those things that, you know, I feel better knowing, in theory, it should be healthier because of it. Oh, this podcast might come out early. As a general rule, you should still plan on the podcast going up on Saturday morning, about 8.30 Pacific time. But due to changes in when I record and how I'm doing things when, there's a chance that every now and then it will go up on Friday, probably... I would guess maybe around 2 or 3 Pacific time. So if Friday night works out better for you, you might want to take a look every now and then and see if it's up Friday instead of Saturday morning. I guess that's really all I can think of. There's nothing in gaming news I can think of now that games I've been waiting for are finally out. Yay! So I guess that is it for this time. And hopefully I'll see everybody next time. Okay, thanks, bye. It is randomized enough and there is enough stuff involved to keep you on your toes that it did it. Uh... And when I went through my first time, like I said, you know, I accept when I went through my first playthrough. Well, um, I guess you could say info text when you pick up very root. Very, uh. Hello, Commander. You have been listening to Rabbit's Ramblings. If you would like to see the show notes or feed the bunny by sending a donation, you can find the show website at www.rabbit.com slash podcast slash rabbitsramblings.html. If you would like to send me an email, you can do so at rabbit at rabbit.com. If you friend me, you can also post on Facebook at rabbit.com. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at rabbitdotcom. It's rabbit.com, but with not a period. When you type rabbit's ramblings, don't use the space, and be sure to put the number one in place of I whenever you type rabbit. Rabbit's Ramblings is copyright 2012 and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license.